Praise be Jesus Christ, and welcome back to episode 26 of CarmelCast. CarmelCast is a production of the Institute of Carmelite Studies Publications. For more information, you can visit our website at www.icspublications.org. Today we're joined by Brother John Mary of Jesus Crucified, and welcome back to Brother Emmanuel of the Mother of Mercy. I'm Deacon Pier Giorgio of Christ the King. Um, and as we've been doing throughout this, this season, we're starting with uh, a selection from the Sayings of Light and Love. So, Brother... Uh, John Marius has graciously picked, I'm sure it'll be a great one. Um, so this is uh, number 100 from the ICS version of the, the sayings of light and love of St. John of the Cross. The Father spoke one word, which was his Son, and this word he speaks always in eternal silence, and in silence must it be heard by the soul. And I think this is particularly beautiful. Um, we, don't, we don't hear a lot about John's Christology, his understanding of Jesus. His, I mean, he speaks a lot about Jesus, but um, you can see in this how central Jesus is for him. And I love this idea of it's in silence. God spoke this word in silence, and it must be in silence that we receive it. And I think that this applies very much to this uh, section of John's life that we're going to be talking about because he spent time in a hospital and then in a, in a monastery that was pretty secluded and, and silent. Um, and so, yeah, and it's the same way I think that we ourselves must receive uh, Jesus Christ, his love, is, is by taking time in silence. And John can be such a great teacher in that, in that as we see from, from, the, from the way he taught his own friars, his own, yeah. Yeah. And that, was, that was one of the, among the, the virtues that he was most mm. renowned for, not just the... the, the things that he imparted in his writing in terms of the importance of silence, but uh, the memory of the friars of, of Holy Father was, was his, his silence. And what, what you touch on, I think, is very important because it's, it's, it's neglected, but it is, he is so present. Jesus, you know, Jesus Christ in John's writing is, is so present. We don't see it, but, but his, his entire way of seeing the spiritual life is incarnational. It's very, it's very important to keep that in mind. Mm. Um, so where we left off last last week, uh, John made a daring escape <laughs> from from the the Kaus friars in Toledo. Uh, he makes his way um, through the sheer grace of God and divine providence to the nuns in in Toledo, uh, and it's there that the the nuns uh, see the full extent of the condition that he's in, um, and they 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 feed him, they they hide him from from the, his pursuers. Uh, and ultimately, he is—he is—he's uh, uh, brought to a hospital. But perhaps we can, before we get to the hospital, we can talk about uh, the nuns in Toledo have 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 written memory of 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 John's arrival at the monastery. Yeah, he uh, well, he kind of he showed up very clandestinely, of course, um, um, and uh, of course he was very he wanted to to be to be hid because he knew that the uh, the Count's friars and the ones who who were holding him would very much be looking for him. They would know very early on in the morning that he was missing, um, and so they brought him. Well, he came. He came to the monastery, and immediately the prioress um, was a, very knew knew him well. You know, um, very uh, slyly, very cleverly, um, brought him into the cloister to to minister to a sick nun, and in that way he was he was hid from from the from anyone who came to look for him. Um, yeah. yeah, and then the friars, they realize that he's missing, so they come searching, and they come to the, 
the the cloister and you know they ask if they've if they've seen john of the cross and uh the sister at the turn very uh yeah very slightly answers you know like we said if it would it'd be a miracle if you found a friar inside <laughs> here yeah. and uh so she was able to say that without lying <laughs> but uh but yeah to, to kind of turn them away because they they went then they went off and were looking everywhere for john yeah and it's in this instance that we find another another uh, item that John enjoyed to eat. So if you're looking for a, a, a feast, a feast to prepare for the for the upcoming solemnity of Saint John of the Cross, we have moldy breadcrumbs, uh, <laughs> stewed cabbage, and acorns. And what the nuns provided for him in this instance uh, for dessert, we have uh, stewed pears with cinnamon. So <laughs> yeah. a delicious meal to prepare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can just imagine John arriving. He's just so, his, you know, his habit is torn. He's like skinny and just pale. He looks deathly ill. Mm. And they just want to take care of him and make him, you know, help him feel better. But they also realize that uh, he's, he's very delicate. And so they really, they knew pears and cinnamon would be something that would be very light on yeah. his stomach. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't make a mistake or anything like that. It's simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I. Th- I think it's also really important to remember that, it, uh, as far as I remember, that he, these nuns were the first ones to hear his poetry, that he, uh, he, he spoke it, you know, from his own memory, um, what these these uh, rich expressions of his experience, uh, that they were the first ones, um, yeah. And I'm sure that, that they write about it, you know, they, they remember it so clearly. Right. So. Uh, th- the prioress in Toledo gets in touch with someone, uh, the, the the canon of the cathedral, to to uh, provide John with a place for convalescence, um, and we know that he spends about two months in in the hospital. Um, so maybe we just uh, briefly to briefly touch on that. Yeah, we don't know much of anything about that time other than that he was there staying at this hospital, um, and. I think it, that reveals too, like the the terrible physical condition that he must have been in. If it took him two months, and yet even we'll see, he still wasn't recovered. Um, so this is just two months, basically, for him to remain hidden and to try to to get his strength back. Yeah. I, I do remember also that he uh, the possibility that he would have actually had view of the window that he cl- he climbed out of, oh. and just to have to have taken that time not only to convalesce but to but to uh, really sit with the experience that he just he just went through the nine months that he just um and and how much that would have been a, a fruitful time for him in a way to 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 realize the great grace that was poured out for him yeah, yeah memory from the other side yeah. of yeah. of the window exactly yeah it's interesting mm-hmm. and then meanwhile all the friars are out looking for him and he's right there <laughs> in their midst yeah. staring at the at the monastery so mm. So uh, he's he's in convalescence for these two months, but uh, it's it's pretty pretty quick back to business. Uh, he, he's not fully recovered, of course, but uh, he wants to get back into the action of the reform, and so he travels uh, to Almodovar uh, in October of, of 1578, the the you know just two months after he escaped from from the uh, the Kals Monastery in Toledo. Yeah, he goes there for a. Uh, it's basically like the the reform is having a sort of secret chapter together. They don't want the other friars to know about it. Um, so John travels for that. And it's not, it's, it's a, quite a distance from where he was. And so actually we see that uh, Teresa writes in one of her letters, she's upset that John had been, that he had traveled so far when he was so ill. Yeah, yeah. They, um, just, it just shows a deep love that she had for him. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the, the result of this, this secret chapter is that John is then sent from Almodovar to El Carverio, um, which is quite an unusual place for John because it's in the south of Spain. Um, and he, it wasn't agreeable with, with John for many reasons, but from what we know of, uh, I had never having been to Andalusia, but it's, it's much warmer <laughs> than in the north of Spain and also uh, is culturally very different. This is the part of Spain that was much more influenced by uh, Islam uh, during the, 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 con the conquest and that, that existed during the Middle Ages of Spain. So just culturally very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems clear that they, they wanted to move John there to get him away from kind of all of that was happening because yeah. he was right in the midst of all this tension. And so this was a way that they could send him far away from, from the friars who were looking for him and just all the conflict um, and give him time to recover. Yeah, he was out of the jurisdiction of, of the, any, anyone who might order him back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, he, he was, it, that was a difficult place for him to live because of the cultural differences, which I think is, it's helpful for us to, to see that because I think at times, you know, we have troubles when we move somewhere new, being in a different place and a different culture. But even a saint, you know, it was difficult for him to, to, to adjust to a new place. Uh, he writes in a letter to a directee of his, um, he says, uh, for after that whale swallowed me up and vomited me out on this alien port. So he's referring to being down there in, in the south of Spain, what that was like for him. And it was, yeah, it would, it would be a long time uh, where he would stay, but, um, but yeah, this was, a, this was a tough time for him. And, uh, and eventually he does come to appreciate the, the people, but, but at first, yeah, it's very, it's very difficult. <laughs> and it's also his reintroduction into, into, into the apostolate. Uh, we know that he spends some time with the nuns in Beas yes. uh, during this time as well. Yeah, there's such a great uh, a memory of him going there on his way to El Cavario. And it's when he, me I think he meets Anne of Jesus for the first time. She was a prioress. She was, um, you know, uh, one of the daughters of, of, of uh, in, in St. Teresa's reform. And um, he, so he meets with these nuns. He's speaking with them. And of course, the speaking of Teresa of Avila comes up. And so uh, he speaks and he says that he calls Teresa his, his daughter. And Anne of Jesus is not a fan of this because <laughs> here you have, you know, Teresa is John's like the 30 years, almost 30 mm -hmm. years older than him. And here, and she's the, you know, the founders of their reform of their monastery. And here's this young friar saying, my daughter, Teresa. Mm -hmm. um, and so at first she was a little put off by John, but later on she, I mean, she, she's, John totally wins her over. Yeah. Teresa writes to her too right. saying like, how, of how great John is. So. Yeah, this is the, she says this, not, not only that he's great, but that he is the, he is the father of her soul. Right. Which is quite an approbation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I, that's, uh, that Carmel, these nuns were, became very dear to him. I mean, over the next years, he would visit them very often. And, uh, and it's, a uh, during this first visit, actually, that uh, it's very, very beautiful encounter, him having come from this tremendous experience of suffering, but also of growth that, uh, the nuns sort of to, to, uh, to offer, some, offer him some recreation. They sing him a song about like suffering and pain, but the great, the great uh, um, joy that can come from it. And he's just overcome, you know, it says that he, he just like, he says, he puts up his hand, just stop. <laughs> yeah, he's um, so moved by yeah. this. He like tells him not to go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we can see how he's still psychologically and spiritually, I, yeah. I think, like processing all that's happened to him right. over the last months. So his his uh, his relationship with the nuns in Beas would in, would 
would continue throughout his time in Andalusia, and he was uh, at one point making the trip to, to the monastery almost every weekend uh, to spend time with them. And, and so we know from the, from the nuns' uh, encounters with him that he was such a great listener to them and, and such a great spiritual father to them as well. Um, one of my favorite anecdotes from this, from this period is the Sister Catalina asking him, you know, why the frogs always jump away <laughs> when, when she, approach, she approaches. And John's response to her was that, uh, that she should imitate these frogs and, and flee from creatures and, and uh, rest in the center uh, of, of, God's, of God's love. Right. Yeah, because yeah, John was going there, uh, I think when he was in El Calvario, pretty much every week. I don't remember exactly how long of a walk it was, but he would basically, he would leave and uh, it says he would walk up kind of to the top of a mountain, rest at the top, pray yeah. some, and then walk down into the into Baos, minister the, to the nuns over the weekends, and then come back to the monastery. Um, but it's from this time, too, that we get some of these sayings of light and love, um, because some of the nuns there were jotting down these wise sayings uh, that John said, and in a notebook that we were yeah, able to get. One of the few, one of the, the only legitimate autographs that we have of his writings. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, so we we know that uh, he makes he spends about a year in in uh, El Calvario before he makes his way uh, to Beza. Um, so maybe we can we can spend the rest of our time today just just talking about uh, this a different view of John uh, from his ministry in Beza as a formator and as a, the the one of the main superiors of the house there as well. His prudence in in dealing with with um, with the more worldly matters that he had to deal with as the as the rector of the of the formation house and some of the other ministries that he that he had while he was in in Beza. Yeah, so this is a time of of uh, many stories and many uh, encounters and and a time where, where John really kind of uh, flourished, I mean, in certain ways and an ability to 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 speak with many different people and to and to uh, and and to recruit and to really nurture and nourish the, the guys who were entering, um, but also many because Baeza was a very uh, flourishing town. It had a, an incredibly uh, religious atmosphere, thanks to the former reforms just recent before that. Mm. Yeah, and he was only there for three years, but we have pages and pages of stories, uh, accounts yeah. of, of the influence that he had there on uh, the young men who were entering the order, uh, the students, mm -hmm. uh, the other friars, and then also the, just the lay people in the town. Because um, John was really, he was, he was the, um, I mean, a, a founder mm -hmm. of this house, basically. He was kind of the, the one who was going to found this, uh, this new monastery. And so he had great influence um, in that area. And people really started to look up to John, see his spiritual wisdom. Yeah. And so what, I think we're, we're going to share just maybe an anecdote or two. Um, from this time, I, I I jump ahead. I, I I just I love this. There's a particular story of a, it's from the from the year 1580. I can't remember during what time, but there was a a great uh, sort of uh, plague or influenza, I guess, going through Spain, and it actually also took his mother. But um, in in Baeza, he came back to the house um, and found almost all the friars were sick, or not all of them, I think. And it's like he, eighteen. I think. Yeah, eighteen. And so he he. Uh, he flew into action and and uh, and sought to take care of every single one of them to the point where I think he's even said that he he bought like a quarter of a cow um, to just to feed them. Where he would he would uh, and with other sick friars he would ask them what was your, what's your favorite food? Please tell me what's your favorite food so that I can make it for you. 
or um, or bringing in uh, music, you know, to 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 allow them to recreate. Just a, a, I mean, I particularly chose the story because I found it uh, it it shows a very a very uh, warm side of John. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. There's also there's great stories of him. Um, he was called on often to minister in the whether it was you know someone was having. Um, ecstasies or things like that. Mm. He was seen as one who was very wise and could read souls and could kind of judge these experiences to know mm. if they were from God or not. Uh, he was also called in to be an exorcist at times. Um, but there's one great story of this this uh, holy woman, or appearing to be a holy woman anyways, who would come to his masses and she was having ecstasies during while he was saying mass and was being rather disruptive. And so he told one of the other brothers to take a bucket of water and when she started having this ecstasy to throw the water on her and then they would know because if she if she was if it didn't affect her at all then they would then they would know this is authentic but sure enough when the water's thrown on her she just kind of goes off and so <laughs> they know then that she was faking all of this <laughs> we see different accounts of his sense of humor too during this time there's the story of of uh, brother juan of san pablo and uh how he was a lawyer before he entered the carmel and uh, he asks uh, Holy Father John to uh, maybe he could have some more uh, some more advanced reading, mm -hmm. and so uh, Saint John of the Cross gives him a book of ABCs, <laughs> as you can only imagine, sort of like the equivalent of the hungry caterpillar today, um, and, and asks him to read this every day uh, for for uh, for his extra for his intellectual exercises, just yeah. to teach him the humility, but also. Yeah. Uh, shows a little bit of, of Holy Father's personality, and then it, it, it and then it, uh, it turns out that the friar ended up get, like receiving great spiritual graces yeah. from reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> so by being obedient and humble, he was able to receive a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not to multiply stories, but I, I, he, I mean, he, he was because uh, it was a big university town. Saint John of Avila beforehand was one who started these re these reforms, and. Uh, and uh, so there were many like, like well-known uh, or knowledgeable people um, who would often come to see him uh, once they developed this reputation. And he, he would spend a lot of time talking to them about scripture and theology. And, and I know uh, like maybe just care of, care of, uh, of people in the city. Um, and so he was kind of the, the figurehead of this very revered community. Yeah, in the town. Right, he had the lowest and like kind of the poorest people coming mm -hmm. seeking him out, but also yeah. kind of the, the, the most well-known figureheads at the university right. town right. coming to him uh, for spiritual advice. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, in the midst of, of, of John's living in, in Beza, we know that he continues to visit the nuns um, in, in Beas, but, but what's going on in the reform at this time, so we've just been speaking of, of sort of John's reintroduction into the into the life of ministry in the apostolate, and uh, in, in bringing people to a greater um, spiritual life through his teaching and ministry and confessions. Uh, but what's going on with with Teresa and and the rest of the reform during this time? Yeah, the friars are really. I mean, they're they're seeking, and Teresa wanted this as well. They're seeking to get their own separate province. Because right now, because they're still just a group within the bigger Carmelite order, there's still all these conflicts happening and there aren't great relationships. And they, their, their plan at the beginning was not to, to form this separate order necessarily or even a separate province. They just wanted to be these reformed houses. But eventually, I think Teresa even was able to see that this just was not going to work. Um, there was just too much tension and jealousy and misunderstanding. And so they saw that they basically they needed to become their own separate province um, in order to be protected. 
And so that's really what they're working towards. Um, and also we see there's huge growth, like very quickly. This is only, I think, 13 years after the beginning of the friars. There's already 300 friars and 22 monasteries. So it's like this, it's growing so quickly mm-hmm. um, that you can see that like, God, yeah, God's really at work in this. Yeah, and then I just, I mean, logistically, it's, I mean, you can't, it's, it's hard to ignore 300 friars, you know, and the, <laughs> yeah. and the nuns too, you know, yeah. Right. Yeah, so. We know that, um, a friar who had another profound influence on, on St. Teresa was, was Father Gratian. Um, and we haven't talked much uh, during, during these episodes about, uh, about sort of John's relationship with Gratian and, and to what extent um, John had an encounter with him. Maybe this would be a good time to bring that up because, because at this time Gratian is given more authority uh, among the, the discalced reform. Yeah, they seem to be... Uh, peers in one sense, but I mean, Gratian from the from the get go seemed to have a bit more of a of a career in administration. Um, John was elected prior, you know, different houses, but Teresa right away saw Gratian as this sort of prodigy for he's going to be the one who's going to really bring up the reform that's beginning. But but they did have a it, John and Gratian seemed to have a good relationship, and even even in the in the the founding different houses like Baeza and, and others later on after Baeza, they were. They work together. Yeah, so Gratian becomes, and this this is a is in 1581 that the Discalce become their own separate province, and they have their first chapter in um, Alonda Bar, mm-hmm. and it's there that, is that right? Alcala, was oh, yeah. it Alcala? Yeah, mm-hmm. Alcala. And it's there that uh, thank you for fact checker. <laughs> <laughs> it's there that uh, that Teresa submits three names of people that she think would be good as um, the first provincial and. John's name is not on that list, mm-hmm. but uh, Gratian's name is, and he's the one who ends up being the first provincial of the Discalced province. Yeah. And of course, Father An- Antonio's name is on the list too, but, but uh, we know that Teresa isn't the fondest of, of poor, poor Padre Antonio. I think anecdotally, it's interesting to mention also that, uh, that in the end, uh, Fray Antonio would be the one uh, at Teresa's bedside when she was dying. So after all of her, all of her um, hesitancy, uh, concerning Fray Antonio, he's he's the one who's who's with her in the end, and, yes. and perhaps that that uh, unsettled her a little bit. But uh. <laughs> and perhaps I mean I just it, this just came to mind, but that, that Teresa may not have put John's name forward because she knew to what extent he was run down yeah. by his you know the, his experience you know his imprisonment and everything, and I'm sure she knew what it was like to to be in administration and how right. <laughs> how exhausting it is, especially in this time. Yeah, so. I also would like to think that she saw that John's gifts were so much in uh, writing and mm-hmm. like guiding souls. Right. And she wanted him to be free yeah. uh, for those ministries as well and let others take care of the paperwork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So through this, uh, this uh, period in John's life, I think we've, we've done uh, justice to, to his personality especially and, and his apostolic zeal um, in, in bringing people to a closer relationship with God, his relationship with the nuns and uh, his relationship with the student friars as well. Just all these great anecdotes and stories that really, I think, do a good job of coloring, um, a color commentary, you could mm-hmm. say, on, on John's personality and, 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 uh, and who he was as a person. Um, we know a lot from this period. Um, and so next time, we'll, we'll continue along in, this, in, in John's life and, and uh, ultimately getting to a little bit about him as an author as well in the future. So we thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks. God bless.
everyone, Brother Pier Giorgio here. Thanks for checking out this episode of CarmelCast. If you want to hear more of us, don't forget to click subscribe. Also, be sure to click like if you enjoyed this episode, and maybe even leave us a comment. We post discussion questions down below to get the conversation going. Want more information on Carmelite spirituality and the Discalc Carmelite Saints? Then you'll want to check out our website, www.icspublications.org. There's a link in the description of this episode. From here, you can see all our current promotions and access our complete catalog for the writings of St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, and St. Edith Stein. If you want to stay up to date on all our promotions and new titles, then be sure to add your email to our email list. There's no better way to stay up to date on the latest Carmelite publications. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you.